0: questions today? Beyond any questions today? Asking how your practice is going meditation, chanting. I was just saying there was a lady in Adelaide who uh, rang up, she wanted to find out if there was anything wrong with her because she sometimes her mind becomes very peaceful and she sometimes has visions of seeds. Auras of uh, light around people, or sometimes she has um, clear images of she had one of uh, some dead bodies. And different things came up in her mind. She's wondering what all this is because she's been to the doctor, even the top neurologist, he couldn't explain what's going on. So she rang up the general saying, Well, it sounds more likely to be um, from a peaceful mind when the mind becomes peaceful. Often we this book he just gave out, the book is entitled The Last Life so the question is to explain some more how what does that mean, Last Life? Tanajan saying, well in uh, the Buddhist teachings about the nature of this mind, the human mind, human life we say normally our mind, if it's untrained uh, hasn't yet fully developed understanding of the true nature of things then it's under the influence of you could say ignorance or um, delusion um, not understanding truth and because of this lack of understanding it constantly is being conditioned by craving and attachment uh, which are the cause for birth Birth meaning birth in this life, we were born in this life, and when we die as long as um, our jat, upadana, ignorance, craving and attachment are still uh, affecting our minds well that will lead to future birth, as in the next life. The place or the experience one would have in the next life where the consciousness goes to be born would depend on the karma of each individual being, good and bad. Uh, Those who have made a lot of good karma may be reborn in one of the many Heaven realms or may come back as a human, a Manusa or may be be reborn in a Brahma loka, Brahma realm, very high realm for those who have developed deep levels of concentration in their Samadhi But it all depends on the, the strength and the conditioning effect of karma, good and bad karma that beings make throughout their life uh, if somebody's made uh, a lot of bad karma that's uh, well, affecting their mind, a lot of suffering and wholesome mental states, well, this might lead them to be reborn in a lower realm, a ghost realm or a hell realm, and so on. All of this, though, all of these realms of existence, they come within the bounds of this what we Process of causal conditioning, where dependent on our each. Other, ignorance then karma is made, craving and attachment arises and whether it's for even for a very high and refined heaven realm or uh, a realm of suffering or, or just a human birth, human realm, well this process of conditioning is affecting us all the time. When the Buddha came into the world, was practicing, he actually made the statement that this will be my last life. That was based on his clear understanding of this process of causal conditioning, understanding that ignorance gives rise to craving, gives rise to attachment, gives rise to birth, and actually developing the mindfulness and the insight to transcend that process, to abandon ignorance so that it's no longer conditioning, craving, attachment, and future birth. And this is the Buddhist path, uh, and... practice to see or penetrate the Four Noble Truths is for the abandoning of of ignorance of each hour and craving and attachment and this is what he completed through his practice and so he was able to say, well this is my last life then he was also able to teach this path this this method or this path to others so we know he gave the teaching to the first five ascetics uh, led by Meravanya Kundanya who also were able to transcend this process of causal conditioning that leads to future birth they managed to purify their mind developing insight, listening to his teachings and practicing so they also became what we call Arahants uh, beings who have purified their mind there's no more uh, ignorance conditioning their mental state so they achieved their last life as well they could also say, well this is our last life no more birth for us it has to be a mind that has been purified through the, the development of insight, knowledge to the point where there's no more uh, deluded attachment to the world, to this body or mind where the mind is experiencing a state of, you might say, emptiness, empty of attachment What we normally attach to with the mind, well it's this, this, these five canvas body, feelings, perceptions, mental formations, consciousness Um, this abandoning of attachment to the and leads to the purification of the mind and this experience of nirvana which is considered to be the highest happiness that we can achieve as human beings and it's based on understanding that all these other levels of the mind and realms of existence whether it's the human realm itself or the lower realms, hell realms, ghost realms or heaven realms, brahma realms the mind understands now, through its wisdom and its, its practice, the, what these realms are, their nature, that they're still subject to birth and death, so the, the mind no longer attaches to, that, to them. There's no more causes in the mind for further birth into those realms, and this is why we say it's the last life. And it doesn't have another, another birth, so there's... Nirvana is a state, we say, without birth, without death. So in the modern era, we have teachers such as Longpo Chahar, our teacher Longpo Mahabua. They've achieved this through their practice. And one of the uh, results of that, re- achieving Nirvana and achieving the end of uh, birth and death, purifying their mind, is that when they die and we create them, well, their bones actually, their ashes turn to relics and crystallize. And it's just a reflection or a symbol of the, the pure mind. So how can we get to experience this same purity of, and, and this understanding that can free us from the round of birth and death? Well we have to aim for Nibbāna, we have to make that the goal of our practice and then follow the path that the Buddha gave, the, the pathway or the method that he gave for, for beings to train themselves to reach Nibbāna. So that training, that practice, uh, we call the practice of morality, Sima, development of meditative concentration, Samadhi, and then the development of insight, Anya. And this is the path that raises the level of the human mind, little by little, through the practice. If we have no path of practice, no direction, uh, then of course it's uncertain what will happen to our minds. And it's quite possible they could fall... Uh, into very negative states, experience a lot of unwholesome karma, unwholesome states of mind because of the lack of training and the lack of clarity in what is a good and bad karma and so on and so when you see that in the world, people often they lose their way, maybe they lose their sense of morality, their conscience and so on and they are often end up doing quite unskillful things, living in unskillful ways maybe killing or stealing on a regular basis, getting, just getting drunk or drugged, intoxicated regularly little by little eroding the, the good qualities of their mind, little by little the, the level of the mind starts to go down and quite difficult to, to rehabilitate them out of that. You know, once one's made a lot of negative karma on a regular basis then you know there's a long way to go to get the mind back to a state you might say of normality um, If one does make a lot of very unwholesome karma, well, some beings, when they die, human beings, when they die, they end up being reborn in hell realms. And they might stay in that, experiencing the suffering of that realm for a long time before uh, the level of the mind comes back up to, say, the level of a human being. And just the power or the strength of their negative karma takes a long time to wear off. So we are fortunate that we have these teachings, we have this path, the path of generosity, morality, meditation This is what will help to uh, improve our state of mind, our experience of happiness in this world so that we can be a full human being, a Manusa or even bring the mind to a level of a, a Deva, a heaven being, heavenly being and on death we might be reborn in the heaven realm there are those beings we call Bodhisattvas, the great beings, they're, they're ones who've made a vow to, not only for their own enlightenment, but also to <coughs> teach others, help others towards enlightenment. These beings, when they die, they're, they're always born in the heaven realm we call Dusita heaven realm, uh, where they're um, able to still able to assist in others in their spiritual journey. there was a question just about um, whether you can interpret or look at our experience as human beings in the world today uh, and say that maybe you could even say that parts of the world different countries, different areas are like heaven on earth, other parts of the world appear more to be like hell on earth, Mm -hmm. and you could say well heaven and hell exist right in this very world that we live in Um, and Ajahn said well the starting point from the Buddhist teachings comes from the the experience of the Buddha himself, his own uh, refined, clear states of awareness he came through meditation and uh, he was able to see, he could recollect past lives he could see beings when they pass away, they die from this world, where they are reborn and he could see with great clarity and precision that these other realms of existence do exist in of, of themselves, there are heaven realms and. Different levels of heaven realms. They are the lower realms of existence, what we call the, the realms of suffering, so animal realms, uh, ghost realms, hell realms. These do exist. The Buddha defined them, described them very clearly, and this is based on his uh, clear knowledge, understanding through it, training his mind. So that you take that as the starting point, but um, yes, you can say you can certainly gain a lot of insight and understanding by looking at the world as it is today and that you can see, well, some people's lives does seem to be very much like hell, a lot of suffering, a lot of trauma and uh, uh, problems for them. Other people seem to look like they live more like in a heaven realm. Their, their life seem to be you know, experienced a lot of happiness. But you have to look deeper and say, well, what is the cause of this? Everything has its cause and everything has its result. And the cause well, it lies in what they've been doing previously so if somebody or a group of people in the world they're living in a certain way experiencing a lot of suffering say well you can see, you have to look back and see well there are causes that have led up to this current state of suffering they're experiencing the conduct, that they, how they've acted and conducted themselves in the past has led up to this Uh, those who are living more like you could say in a heavenly existence where they're very peaceful and happy maybe well there are causes, conditions that have led up to that and the teaching on karma is we use that to, to reflect on our own and other people's actions and see the action and result and see how that's affecting us all the time our past actions result in how we are in the present how we act in the present will be affecting our future and what happens to us in the future. You can really understand about this if you start studying and looking into your own heart and the experience of your own heart and mind. You can see that when we get caught into states of suffering uh, then that's, that's like being born into a state of uh, say I've a ghost, or into a hell realm, or when we create the causes through our actions and our, our thoughts and our speech for happiness to arise, well that's like the mind going into heaven, and you can see that. That's you know those causes and results are, are going on all the time. States of happiness, states of suffering, we experience through our, our lives. You can see that's like heaven and hell. Um, Ajahn Chah, when he was a young monk, he went to study with a teacher called Lumpur Ginari, who was a disciple of Ajahn Man. And one day, there was a big group of ants having an ant war on the on the floor of the forest. Like A group of red ants were fighting a group of black ants. Ajahn Chah just squatting down, looking at them and just observing what was going on, and he sort of, just in a, a sort of jovial way, was, was cheering one side when they were winning just like you might do in a sort of a contest that you might see on TV or something, uh, where the other side seemed to be winning as well as they, mm, uh, not doing so well now. It's just, just a light-hearted way of looking at these, these two groups of creatures, the different coloured ants, fighting it out for territory. But his teacher, Ajahn Ghinari, walked past at that moment, and he, as he saw Ajahn Charles squatting there, looking at the, the success and the failure of these different groups of ants, he just said, said out, oh, one minute in heaven, one minute in hell and then walked off. So Ajahn Chah went away and sat and meditated contemplating this. And Why did the teacher say, one minute in heaven, the next minute into hell? And he realised it's just pointing to the, the way our minds are. you know, When we have pleasant experiences or success, different kinds of happiness, well it puts us in a good mood because we like to go up to heaven then the next minute some, we experience some unpleasant experience, some failure, some problem, and it's like we go into hell. And, you know, literally, that's the state of our mind, up and down, up and down like this, according to conditions, happy and, and then suffering. And, you know, if we were to die at those moments, you know, where you fall in, into the, the state of suffering, if you were to die then, well, maybe you actually re, would re, be reborn in a, a state of suffering or if you were to die when you are experiencing a state of happiness, well maybe you would be reborn in a a happy heavenly realm Um, So you can see in the course of just one day, the mind is being reborn in heaven and hell maybe many times and then in the course of a month or a year, it's hundreds of times unless we start to practice the Dhamma and and see more deeply in this experience, unless we do that, well we'll just be we tend to be just caught into heaven and hell realms in the mind from over and over again through our life. <coughs> does, <coughs> it, does this make sense? <laughs> so this book, uh, The Last Life, that uh, Tanajan mm. gave out, is a collection of teachings and anecdotes and Stories and, and talks from Ajahn are talking about uh, his fellow monks. Some of them more senior to him, some of them junior to him. Um, most of them in the forest lineage of the forest monks. The teaching of uh, their teacher was Ajahn monk, and they're all considered to be monks who have attained this. Um, Last life, they won't be reborn. So it's just they just comments he's made over the years. They collected them together and put them into a book, describing these different monks, how well they've practiced, them, and then they have attained this, this experience of the deathless. They won't experience future birth. Sometimes we have our different ideas about what an enlightened master would be like. Uh, this book is is talking one enlightened master describing and talking about some of the other enlightened masters but everybody might have their own version their own way of thinking of what an enlightened master or an arahant would be like and then just mentioned the story of a young American monk who once lived with Ajahn Chah many years ago he was a monk for about four years and he always had this uh, clear picture in his, eye, in his mind what a, an enlightened master should be like is like and felt that he should be totally free of and beyond all conventions and not tied down by anything because his mind is totally free and beyond defilement so he can laugh he can cry or anything but it doesn't matter because the mind is no longer attached and he was thinking like that one day and he came out of his bathroom in, at his kuti in, in the forest his hut in the forest and there was Ajahn Chah standing and Ajahn Chah just looked at him and picked up his walking stick, pointed at him, sort of prodded his chest, and just laughed, started laughing, it seemed uncontrollably. Um, so the US monk t- felt that probably that society he is an Arahant because he was doing exactly what he was thinking an Arahant should do in his mind, which is to sort of just be able to laugh out loud in an unrestrained way. So Ajahn Chah gave him what he wanted. In Thailand in the recent era, perhaps the most famous uh, enlightened master Arahant, is Ajahn Mu, uh, who lived died in 1949. And he said himself that he had um, originally over many lifetimes he'd been aspiring to become a Buddha and making Bharami for that end, practicing, doing good, developing himself and helping others for many, many lifetimes uh, with that aim but in this final lifetime of his, when he actually became enlightened he actually reached Nibbana, meaning there would be no further birth for him and this is because he actually changed his aspiration seeing that the, uh, the state of the religion, the state of the world you know there were very few enlightened beings at that time even the uh, idea in Th- Thailand and other Buddhist countries that one could become an Arahant or enlightened many people believe it just not possible at that time so he saw the need to have more enlightened masters around to practice to, and then to teach others so he practiced for himself and having become enlightened then he taught many many others and as we know many many of his disciples uh, mostly monks but some uh, nuns and lay people as well they uh, became enlightened in his footsteps uh, and he's had a huge impact on the uh, Buddhist uh, religion in Thailand and in, around the world now. So there's the a question about if we are beginning to do the practice say later on in life uh, is, can we still get results from the practice and how can we practice? Uh, and of course it, it is possible uh, you know, at any stage in life to attain, we say, the path, the fruit, and Nibbana. It depends on the practitioners, we say, vasana and barami, accumulated virtues, accumulated mm-hmm. spiritual qualities. Um, and this, you know, it's not totally bound up with one's age. It's also to do with one's mind, one's faith, one's effort, and so on. Uh, sometimes you can see well, young people, they come to practice, they don't have a lot to think about the past so much, but they might think a lot about the future, and that becomes an obstacle, all the options and possibilities. Sometimes older people come to practice, and their thoughts are all caught up with the past, what they've done and where they've been and what they've done, they find that hard to let go of, and they don't have much thought, so much thought about the future. Young people obviously have more physical strength, maybe, and their health is perhaps more suited to the practice. But in the end, it's also how your mind is, and you know how you're treating the practice and how you're aiming for it. Like if you're when when, uh, in the monastery, sometimes older monks, older people, come to ordain as monks, and it doesn't mean to say they can't practice. Recently we had one older man become a monk. He was 65 years old and all the monks went off on a walking tour in the forest, which is quite strenuous, but he was keeping up and doing very well uh, competing with, you might say, the young, younger monks, 20, 25 year old monks. And, you know, it's, if you appreciate the path and the value of the practice, then you can have a lot of effort and energy in the practice, even if you are an older person. Um, other old, older people obviously get more bound up in their health and their situation. They might feel this is just an impediment. I can't practice. I'm too old or too sick, uh, and that you know they don't have the same level of faith, so they let their condition become an obstacle to them. The important thing really is to keep developing mindfulness in daily life. And so, if you have a, a job or you're involved in sort of activities through your day. If you're practicing to develop mindfulness, you have to know how to put things down, how to let things go so when you've finished your work, you come home and we'll learn how to let it go and let it keep um, disturbing your mind and you keep thinking about it over and over again Once you've done a job of work or some activity, well let it go, put it down and then carry on developing mindfulness and get into a regular habit, a regular practice of mindfulness practice and this is how your, your, your practice will progress I was just talking about uh, one of his first teachers, Pukunna, mm-hmm. a man who ordained as a monk. Uh, later in life, when he was about fifty-five, he went on a tour of India, like a mm-hmm. pilgrimage to the holy sites. And the whole journey, mm-hmm. every Day and all, all the time through that journey, had this vision of the Buddha in his mind the whole time. So he came back very, very inspired and um, wanted to change sort of the direction of his life. So he thought, now I've, I've made enough money, I've worked enough, I'm going to ordain as a monk. His wife at that time misunderstood, thought and he's probably just bored with her. So she said, I'll find you a mistress, a <laughs> yeah. second wife. He said, I don't want a second wife. One night wife is enough. I want to ordain as a monk. <laughs> so, anyway, he became a monk and he went to stay with Lompokau, one of the famous disciples of Ajahn Mun. And um, Lompokau said, Can you practice Bhutto? And he said, Using this mantra, the Buddha, meditation word Bhutto. He said, Yes. So he practiced with Bhutto and he just lived in a very simple little hut. And his mind was always very, very peaceful and happy. Sometimes people, depending on the situation, people would give him, sometimes people gave him a hard time or even criticized him sometimes, and so he was never angry. He's always a very peaceful, happy monk. And it just shows you at that age you can um, uh, you know, achieve achieve a lot from your Dhamma practice, even beginning at that, that age in life. Later he moved to a monastery um, near where Tanajan nun, used to live in uh, Sarapuri, Ayutthaya, and uh, he would receive teachings from him, Tanajan nun would receive teachings from him, and he took him to meet some of the many, many meditation masters of the day in Thailand. Uh, he went to see Lumpur Wei, and I forget what the story was. Uh, and I went to see uh, Lungpho Wen and the lay people offered Lungpho Wen uh, a kind of a cloak, a cloth for keeping his shoulders warm in it's cold but actually the weather was very hot so it looked like he might not wear it but that night and uh, Wain used his psychic ability to bring the temperature right down in the monastery. The monastery became very cold so he could wear the cloth and then the people would make, get some merit that he actually used the cloth that they offered. Of course, it's not just monks or nuns who can become enlightened, who can see the receive the fruits of this practice. <coughs> in the time of the Buddha, there were many lay people who practiced and gained results from their practice became uh, Soda Stream and so on. The famous ones are Lady Wisaka and the, the man Anattapindaka both practiced very well and, and gained, gained uh, enlightenment from their practice. The important thing is to learn how to develop mindfulness. Put the effort into developing mindfulness in your daily life, whatever your life situation. Put effort into developing mindfulness keeping the precepts um developing yourself in, in the spiritual qualities that are needed and eventually this can ripen in, in uh, enlightenment so lay like people can do it as well. and special qualities How can they do it? What special qualities thought do we been talking about arahants, enlightened beings in, in the Buddhist teaching. they distinguish distinguished them by four groups. Uh, the um, first group, Sukhovi-Pasaka, arahants. They're the ones, you might say, have um, been developing their parami, practicing over a lesser period of time. So they, they're Arahams and so their minds become fully pure and they have samadhi and Wisdom but tend to have few psychic powers but if uh, a practitioner during the course of their practice, obviously not um, once they're at the end of their practice but during the course of their practice they develop their samadhi for longer and in a more in-depth way and develop their Panyar yeah, their insight more in-depth as they're practicing The Barami that they gain all, all, the, the second group of Arahants who have practiced in this way will have gained uh, uh, are called the Tewicha Arahants, so they have gained uh, some psychic ability maybe the ability to recollect past lives see beings in other realms and so on if the practitioners Samadhi and wisdom has been developed to an even a maturer uh, level during the course of their their practice, then they may become the third uh, third category, you they have the sixth or all the different kinds of psychic ability like the divine eye can see beings in other realms talk to them, communicate with them, can hear things, they can uh, maybe fly through the air, they can uh, perform miracles um, read other people's minds and so on uh, the last group is the ones who have maybe de- been developing their parami over many, many lifetimes. They have the most mature or concentrated level of samadhi and anya. Uh, these are called the Padisambhida uh, arahants, and their, their skills are also um, particularly the skills in, in teaching, teaching the dharma to people, even in a language that they don't know, don't understand, and so on. They have many, many skills. Um, psychic ability, ability to teach the Dhamma to different people get them to realise the Dhamma and and, uh, understand the Dhamma they have great skills. There's there's four kinds of Arahant or classes of Arahant and it depends pretty much on how long they've been practising and how the depth or the strength of their Bharami, their Samadhi, their Panya what skills they'll have. So not every Arahant uh, has necessarily lots of psychic ability. Uh, each area will have different skills, different level of skills. The question was, uh, would, would every practitioner non- non- or lay like person who has psychic ability be an Arya Pugalam be an enlightened being of one level or another? Um, and Ajahn answer: not necessarily, because Psychic ability in the beginning is always what we call lokiya, meaning it's, it's a world, a skill that is still of the world in the sense um, it's not necessarily backed by insight and a pure mind, one without, who hasn't yet purified their mind from the defilements, can still have psychic ability, you can maybe uh, see people's karma, see have visions of things, have special knowledges arise during their meditation, but it doesn't necessarily mean that that person is enlightened. Mm-hmm. And the thing about any low attainment, or worldly attainment, is that it can still degenerate, so it can lose that ability. Whereas the abilities of an Arahant, the insight, the purity of mind, and even the psychic ability will not fade, it won't degenerate. They, they've reached the point where the mind is so pure, it no longer degenerates. <laughs> Probably uh, enough teaching for today. Tenetem uh, will be here for a few more days, so if you want to come any other day, you'll be here till the eleventh. And this weekend we have our voice act program